Good evening. Welcome to Wednesday night community. As always, uh, we always say this is an informal setting. Feel free to get up throughout the night and uh, refresh your coffee or water. Uh, grab the snacks look good tonight back there. I was noticing um, there's like the little um, what do you call those cream cupcake? Yeah, they've got a butter butter cream cupcake, something like that. Well, those good cupcakes. Um, so please feel free to go back and grab some of those. This week I was uh, I was looking on uh, on Twitter and there, were, there there was a tweet by the Fairley Brothers. Fairley Brothers do a lot of a comedy movies. Some of you guys know who they are. They 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 had a tweet that said, "Life is like walking the wrong way on a moving sidewalk," which I thought was kind of funny. You know, I'm picturing like the moving sidewalk in the airport, and you ever you ever done it? My kids always love going the wrong way on it, and I'm like, "No, stop it, get over here." But they said, "Life is like walking the wrong way on a moving sidewalk." You know, you're you're always you're always moving in some direction, and I think that was kind of maybe my takeaway from it is there's no such thing as standing still. Now, I, I probably wouldn't totally agree with the analogy. I don't, I don't think life is entirely like that. But the piece that made me just think a lot about was um, this point of that, that movement in the right direction. We're talking about spiritual growth in this series. We're talking about spiritual maturity. Movement in the right direction requires intentionality. Intentionally moving in a right direction, the right pace and and all that sort of thing. But there's no such thing as standing still. And so last week we started this new series. We saw that that who I'm becoming as I'm on that moving sidewalk, who I'm becoming as a person, my my spiritual health, my emotional health, who I am at a soul level with every passing day, every decision I make, every attitude I hold, all, all of my behaviors, who I'm becoming. I really have two options. Oh, it's over here. It was over there last week. Um, there's there's a flourishing self, okay, and and then there's a languishing self. And so these are kind of two versions. This is the best version of me, the flourishing self, and then the languishing self. That's that's the worst version of me that I can come into. But but flourishing, we said, it's not measured by external stuff. It's not like what kind of car you drive or what's your income level or how attractive you are or your status or any of those things. That's not flourishing. Flourishing is the idea of I'm becoming the person that God, as my author, designed me to be. It, it, it means moving toward the best version of me, not of you or not of anyone, but the best version of me. And we read Psalm 92:12 where where God speaks of this idea of flourishing, he says, the righteous flourish like a palm tree. They will flourish in the courts of God. So I think God's plan for me is, is to flourish. It's to be the best version of me that there is. Or the other verse, the, the nearness of God is my good, which is to say to be with God, to live the with God life leads to flourishing. And we also look at this idea that the reality is inside of me, inside of you, there, there's this battle going on between the flourishing self and the languishing self constantly inside of us. Um, Philip Cushman wrote in American Psychologist, the 45th issue, he, he wrote about this tendency within America. Now, he calls it the empty self. Um, he's not necessarily writing from a faith perspective, but the empty self, which, again, I would say is the languishing self. He, he wrote these words. 
The empty self is filled with consumer goods, calories, experiences, politicians, romantic partners, and empathetic therapists. The empty self, he said, experiences a significant absence of community, tradition, and shared meaning. The lack of personal conviction and worth, and it, it embodies the absence, meaning these are the symptoms. This, this is the experience of being the languishing self or the empty self. He says, uh, you experience it as chronic, undifferentiated emotional hunger. Chronic meaning it never goes away. Undifferentiated meaning like you can't even figure, why, why am I feeling this way? Why do I feel unsettled? Emotional hunger. Very much a biblical picture of, of, of what it means to, to move toward the languishing self, to, to move away from flourishing self, to move away from the nearness of God. And so we said that you know, the flourishing self looks really, really different from the languishing self. And in my spirit, for instance, and we looked at all of these kind of different aspects of what my life looks like when I'm, when I'm flourishing, when I'm doing the with God life, when my spirit is connected with God, um, I have more of a sense of purpose in my life. Um, I'm drawn toward putting on virtue and, and resisting or putting off sin. When I flourish, my, my mind is characterized by things like joy and peace. And I've, I've got kind of a, a desire to learn. I want to ask questions. I'm not easily bored. And I'm not easily drawn toward bad habits in the mind. When I flourish, even, even my time is different. I wake up in the morning with kind of a sense of expectancy. I, I, I view every minute as, as, as potentially a God-filled moment. When you flourish, even your relationships are different. Isn't this true? You notice that when you're flourishing relationally, you tend to invest more deeply. You have conversations that you're not constantly looking over the person's shoulder to see what else is going on or looking at your phone. You're, you're like fully present with the person. You're actually interested in what they have to say. You're present with them. And as God grows you, even your, all of your experiences are different. You kind of live more out of a sense of calling, kind of more, more that idea of being pulled towards something versus driven or pushed in some way. You kind of uh, evaluate what you're doing, your job or whatever it might be. Not so much on, okay, how much money am I making, but like, like how much joy is this bringing me? How much joy is this bringing people around me? Like how much, how much value am I really adding? And there's, and there's kind of, even, even when we suffer bad experience, there's a, there's a buoyancy to me when I'm flourishing in my life. And so we said this idea of the flourishing life, no one doesn't want this. Every single person, even the sadist, every single person wants to flourish however they might exactly define flourishing. So you can't not want to flourish. And then we saw the radical idea, the really, really good idea that blows your mind is that there's actually someone who wants your flourishing more than you do. And that's God. God is actually more committed to you reaching your flourishing self even than you are. And so then we ask the question, okay, so how do we... If, okay, if I'm going to flourish, and what flourishing looks like is, man, I trust God so much, I lean on Him, I, I fully trust in Him. Okay, so how does that happen? Like, what's the process that gets me from here, Brent, now, to where, man, I'm, I'm living this life 
with life God, fully trusting him, leaning hard on him. And what we realized is if you were to sit down and tell your story, if I were to sit down and tell my, my, my faith journey, and I talk about, man, this was a time when God grew my faith. This is a time when, when God really stretched me. I, I, I trusted in him where I leaned on him harder that we would find these common kind of buckets that we could put those into. And, and those are in your, in your bulletin there. We talked about this idea of practical teaching. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Next week, we're going to talk about private disciplines. It's one of those things that expands our trust in God. Personal ministry. Providential relationships. And then finally, pivotal circumstances. And we'll, again, we'll unwrap all of these as we go. But what we said is all of our defining moments in faith can be put under one of these categories. And I challenge you guys, if you were here last week, I said, go home and make a list of what are all the things underneath these five categories or write kind of like a timeline out of your life. Maybe when you first, you know, God became more than a word to you. And what, what were those moments along, along the way? And I would guess that they're all going to be in one of these five buckets. So tonight I want to look at practical teaching. This is one of the ways that, that, that God is going to, has his will, and will continue to grow me, grow you. See, when people describe their faith journeys, they always reference the first time that they were exposed to, to practical Bible teaching. Now, for some, this might have happened like at a college Bible study. I've, I've talked to people who, man, they said, man, I, went, I, I joined this uh, adult Bible fellowship thing going on at this church, and, and it was this study. And it's like for the first time, like I understood what it was talking about. It wasn't just names and places. Like I finally got what was going on. Maybe it was in a home, in a home study or a group. For many women around the country, it was Beth Moore who served to, to really introduce people to this kind of practical Bible teaching. But for most... It, it was when they heard the Bible presented practically in terms of the, for the first time in some local church or congregation. And so when people tell their stories, it's also usually pretty evident that it's not the first time they were ever exposed to the Bible. They might have grown up in church their whole life. They might have read the Bible for years. They might have heard a hundred different sermons or Sunday schools. But it represented the first time that they actually understood, number one, what was being taught, and then number two, what to do with it. Like, okay, so what now? Like, how does, what does that mean to me? How do I really apply that to my life? Most Christians who this happens to, they can tell you where they were sitting. They can tell you who they were listening to when all of a sudden, like, light bulbs went off in their, in their life. I remember when I was in, in high school, I mean, I had a lot, you know, a lot of different moments I talk about. One that sticks out, there's, there was a tape. I think I got it from my parents. Um, there was a Bible teacher named Malcolm Smith. And he was this British guy, kind of like Jeff Lucas, but he sounded cooler than Jeff Lucas. And, um, and uh, he was in the Anglican. He was like this Pentecostal Anglican, this like weird combo kind of thing. And, and, and I had this tape from, from my parents, and he was talking about King David and, and how King David just like blew his life apart and, you know, adultery and then murder to cover it up and then denial for a long time and Nathan comes and all this stuff. And, and it was this whole, this whole piece about so many people say, well, a bird with a broken wing never flies straight again. And he goes, no, not in God's economy. I remember him saying that. And he said, you know, things like, uh, well, you know, time heals. And he goes, no, it doesn't. Time covers up. God, only God heals. And it was, it was this, it's like I... I I got grace, the concept of grace, I remember just a little bit more. It's like, wow, I got this idea that you can blow it and you can have consequences in your life that might go on for 
the rest of this life. There could be real consequences, but you could be totally forgiven. And so this idea of consequences and still forgiveness. And, and I remember these like moments of getting stuff, getting concepts of God's grace in my life. I talked to so many uh, of you guys who, who, who grew up hearing sermons, Sunday school lessons, but, but you were never really captivated by Scripture because you never knew what to do with it. I've got a question for you. I want you to take three minutes at your tables, and I want you to discuss this question. What's one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever received? Okay? It, might, it might be in your professional world. Um, it, you know, it, might be, it might be personal. It might be vocational. You know, whatever it might be. Best, or it doesn't have to be the best, but what's, what's one of the best pieces of advice that you ever remember receiving? Okay, three minutes around your table and then we'll pull back together.
Okay. Probably some good ones. Hopefully, maybe even something you wrote down. Here's, here's what I would suggest. I would suggest that what you brought up, because you've probably heard tons of advice over your life. I've heard tons of advice over my life. But when I said, like, what's some of the best? Like, what, what would make the top of the list? I'm guessing the reason you said what you said was because you tried it. Right? I mean, like, you did it, and it actually worked. It actually made your life maybe a little bit better. It helped you to avoid something, or it helped you embrace something more. Just something super, super practical. But you, you actually applied it. You did something, and that's why you go, man. That, that, that impacted me. I could think of it down the road even. See, when Jesus finished what we call his, his most famous sermon, Jesus gave what, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it's this, it has more to do with doing than it has to do with believing. There's some belief stuff there, but it has a lot to do with doing. Here's how you live your life. You know that person who, who, who makes you go one mile? Go ahead and go two with them. You know, the person who treats you this way, forgive them. Radical stuff, but it all had to do with activity, how you behave in relationship with other people. So after getting done with this most famous sermon of his, it was very, very practically oriented. Listen, listen to how he, he finished the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, if you have your Bibles or your smartphones or iPads or something. Matthew 7, verse 28. We read this when Jesus had finished saying all these things, it said the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why is that? Well, because he taught as one who had authority and then it juxtaposes it against all the rest of the teachers that they tended to to listen to, not as their teachers of the law. Now, that's interesting. What it tells me, first of all, is irrelevant teaching is not a problem of the 21st century only. (laughs) Irrelevant teaching has been going on forever. These first century teachers of the law were using the exact same text that Jesus was using, the Old Testament. That's the Hebrew Scriptures. They're using the exact same script that Jesus would use all throughout his life. But there was something different about his teaching. See, he wasn't satisfied to simply say what was true or argue about what was true, though it was true. He wanted the audience to to act on what they heard. Listen to listen to how he closed that particular message with a specific, a specific kind of call to action here. Now, he's going to mention two people. He's going to mention the flourishing self and he's going to mention the languishing self, okay? And listen to what he says the one difference is between you being the flourishing self or the languishing self. Listen to what it is. See if you can pick it up here. Verse 24. Same chapter. Therefore, he said, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like. Now, he uses the phrase a wise man. That's that's the Hebrew way of saying the flourishing self is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Then jumping down to verse 26, he gives the other side. But anyone who hears these words of mine, that's the same as the first guy. Ah, But here's the different piece. But does not put them into practice. Languishing self, the fool who built his house on sand. Now, according to Jesus, look at what the only difference is between the, the flourishing self and the languishing self. It is one word application. That's it. They both heard it. They both thought it was a great message. They both might have loved it. They both might have taken notes. They both might have you know, tweeted a little comment on the notes. They did all the same stuff. The only difference was... The wise person applied 
and the other person liked, enjoyed, watched, observed, approved, agreed, whatever, but just didn't apply. So Jesus gives these two snapshots of the flourishing and languishing selves. And he says to fortify yourself against the absolute death threatening challenges of life that life will throw at you. You have absolutely have to apply biblical truth, not just listen to it, not keep the sermon notes, not talk about it in your small group later that week. Those are wonderful things. But if that's where it stops, it's pointless. Don't even bother. You might as well go do something else. See, Jesus taught for a response. Jesus taught for life change. He didn't come simply to dispense information. And I've got to be honest. I easily, my, my, my biggest maybe temptation is to fall into thinking uh, more biblical knowledge equates to spiritual maturity, right? If I, if I know more Bible verses or if I can quote more passages or if I can explain things, you know, that equates to spiritual maturity. No, it doesn't at all. And, and Jesus keeps destroying that, but I so quickly pick that up and I, I put that on so easily. See, we rarely find Jesus chastising people for their lack of knowledge. Now, does Christ call us to knowledge? Are we called to love him with all of our mind? Yes, absolutely. But what he really gets after people for is their lack of trust. And trust, what does trust look like? Trust looks like action, leaning on something. When he's talking to his disciples, when they're terrified on the water in Matthew 8, 26, he said, uh, you of little faith, why are you afraid? See, the little faith isn't just like, oh, you don't believe enough. What he's saying is you're not actually doing. You're not trusting. You're not leaning hard. Jesus wasn't after mental assent and agreement. Jesus was after active, living, doing the right thing faith. And he, when he taught, he taught that in mind. See, here's the key. It's what you do with what you've heard that makes the difference. Man, if I could get that down, if I could remember that tomorrow morning. It's what I do with what I've heard that really makes the difference, according to Jesus. I came across this kind of picture, this guy, this author named Lane was using. I loved it this last week. He said, unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. (laughs) The value of paint, he said, is in the application. See, what you need, what I need is is to be in practical Bible teaching environments where someone comes in, they pop open the lid, they stir up the can for me, and they hand me the can and they hand me the brush so that I can go home and I can start painting. That I can go and um, painting in my work, painting in my school, painting in my singleness, painting in my marriage. Start applying. I've, I've got to call that person who I've offended and apply. I've got to show up in my fraternity, my sorority, my apartment complex, and I have to apply it. I have to go to my finances and apply it. I have to go to my sexuality and apply it. For those of you who would say, yeah, if I were to come up a list of like times that God grew my faith, I would, I would put like, you know, teaching, there was a moment. Do you, do you remember that moment? Like, can you put yourself back to that time where kind of that fire inside you started? Cause you kind of go like, man, this is, this is, there's, there's something, there's something here. Remember how interesting the Bible all of a sudden became to you? You sat maybe on the edge of your, of your seat. You took notes. The time flew by. 
you kind of want to know, man, what kind of Bible are they using? Because I want to go buy that exact same Bible. Like, I, you know, you wanted it. To, you can't wait till the next round. You can't wait till the next week. And then you did something crazy. You actually went out and you applied to your life a little bit of what you heard. And your faith intersected with, meaning your activity, your faith intersected with God's faithfulness. And your trust like grew just a couple inches, like the Grinch's heart. It just kind of expanded, maybe just a couple sizes. Because see, practical teaching that moves people to action is one of the primary things that God will use to grow your faith, to push you toward the flourishing self. And it doesn't even matter how old you are. Um, Really interesting. Just about 20 years ago, researchers thought that the adult brain was genetically determined and and really structurally unchangeable. But we know now from, from neuroscience, even just in the past 20 years, that even into adulthood, even into late years... The brain is amazingly changeable. They call it uh, neuroplasticity. In which synapses remain and which ones wither completely depend, neuroscience tells us, on, on habits we have. Habits of thought and habits of behavior. And so those synapses that, that, uh, that carry no traffic go out of business. And those synapses that, that get heavily trafficked They get stronger and they get thicker. And what's crazy to realizing is the mind actually shapes the brain. See, when you practice hope and you practice love and you practice forgiveness, when you practice joy, when you practice surrender, your mind is actually literally rewiring your brain. James chapter 1 verse 22, Jesus' half-brother says, be doers of the word, not only or not merely hearers. See, we don't become doers on our own. Uh, we, we have to put ourselves, and this is the whole point of this one spiritual catalyst right here, the practical teaching. We have to put ourselves in environments where, where practical Bible teaching is going on. And then, and then we ask the Spirit God, would you like put that deep into like inner parts of me, like put that into my bones? And then would you help me understand like the response? Like how, how should I respond to that? And what's so cool when when practical Bible teaching scripture intersects with like the real day to day unfolding of my life. I've got like a hundred different examples, endless stream of possibilities to actually do what Jesus taught me to do. Of course, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, remember, he said, go into all the world and, uh, you know, preach the gospel, baptize the people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Teach them to actually do life as I would do life if I were them. Actually doing what I've taught them to do. Um, about, a, about a month ago, uh, a friend told me that he was, he was selling his house and he was buying a new house. And he had, he had the picture of his new house on his phone on, on one of those apps like where you slide through and, you know, the, these are the rooms and all this sort of thing. So he came to me and goes, hey, we're selling and, you know, we're, you, you know, we're buying this home. And, and he was excited and he wanted to show it to me. And I was the first person he talked to. I said, oh, yeah, let me see. So he's going through and it's just beautiful custom home. There's all this unique like woodwork and tile work inside and, and this huge yard and this like massive downstairs basement, this big movie room and all, all. And he's going through it. 
And as I'm sitting there, I didn't say this, but I was like, well, I want a house like that. You know, and, and I was like, that's, God, that's not fair. I want. Now, on the outside, I was happy for him. I said, oh, that's wonderful. You know what's going on the inside? I was like jealous. I was I was totally coveting his house. I was like, I want a big yard, and I want that. Big, I want a big movie room, and and I want that cool tile work, and I want that unique hardwood floor there. Now afterwards, I felt like the Holy Spirit just kind of called me on that. He pointed out, and I was just embarrassed. I was totally embarrassed that 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 sort of stuff. I couldn't genuinely be happy for my friend. I couldn't. I faked it, but I couldn't genuinely be happy for my friend because of all this greed and covetousness inside me. And it's like God was just putting his finger on that, Brent, and going, hey, look at that, Brent. You can't even rejoice with a friend. Isn't that sad? And um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't confess to him because he, he, wasn't, he wasn't offended by it. But I, I did confess to God. I asked for forgiveness. And I, I even told a friend of mine. And I said, hey, I, just, I need to let you know kind of a, a response thing that happened inside me. Just, just as a way to kind of confess. You know, James talks about confessing your sins to one another. So I, I did that. And what I love is that that's all it took. I had another chance. I was back in the flow with God's Spirit, just like that. Because the Holy Spirit worked to say, that's, that's rotten. Practical Bible teaching would tell me, don't be covetous. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And it was this recalibration of something inside me. And an awareness. Now I'm going, boy, what, what was that? Why did I do? Maybe there's more stuff kind of below the surface of the iceberg that I'm not even aware of in Brent. So I need, I need to think about that. Holy Spirit, would you like show me what's going on? Like, where did that come from? What's deeper there? See, practical teaching is a faith catalyst in everyone's life. It lets you know where you are. Brent, you're covetous. You're greedy, little sucker. And it lets you know where you need to go. See, when I hear biblical teaching that has handles on it, meaning I can pick it up, I can actually do something with it. I know what to do with it. Then I can boldly act. That's that whole faith in God, that whole trust thing. And his faithfulness intersects with my obedience, because I'm trusting him, so I'm being obedient. And what happens? My faith explodes. My trust explodes. I move more toward the flourishing version of me. I've talked to so many people. I've talked to some of you guys who have gone through things like... um, Financial Peace University or uh, Crown Financial Classes. And, it, and it's revolutionized your financial world. But more than that, it's revolutionized your marriage. I was talking to a guy a couple months ago and he was saying, yeah, you know, we went through the, like the Financial Peace University thing. And he said, way better than anything we got out of it financially is our marriage is better. I said, how, like, how's that? How's that? There's not like a marriage component, is there? And he goes, no, it's not just we finally just it opened up lines of communication we hadn't had before. And so we're talking about things. And so it's changed just kind of our emotional life and how we interact with each other in all these ways. Well, do you know how that happened? How it how it's revolutionized people's financial and emotional and relational lives? Simply because those classes taught what the Bible already says about money. It about communication. It just made it practical and then if you went through it you applied it to your life that's it here's here's the challenge that i would give you for this week are you consistently exposing yourself to practical biblical teaching and i mean consistently are you doing that do you have a regular church home 
That's solid application kind of oriented Bible teaching. What do you listen like you listen to podcasts? What are you listening to? Is it is it stuff that, that that's yeah, stretching your mind, but is is it lent toward application? What do you do with this? What kind of books are you reading? What kind of audio books are you working through? Are you being challenged in whatever areas? Are, are you in a, a Bible study? Are you in a guy's group or a ladies group? Or wh- what are, you, are you being intentional? Because remember the whole moving sidewalk thing? <laughs> if you're standing still, you're, you're moving backwards. If I'm standing still, I'm moving backwards. Are you, are you intentionally in the right direction and at the right pace? Walking toward becoming your flourishing self and letting the Holy Spirit do that inside you. Are you being challenged by the clear teaching of Scripture in your behavior, in your thoughts, things that no one sees, in your attitudes? See, knowing what to do with the Bible's practical teaching and actually doing it. It will completely explode your faith. It will explode your trust in God. It will move you more toward being the flourishing self. National Public Radio uh, had a piece here a while ago, and it was it was looking at it was exploring what what different people believe their worldviews and religious worldviews and and how that impacts their life and that sort of thing. And one person who was featured in it was a woman from India. Um, this woman had been sold into marriage at age 12, young, young girl. She had been abandoned by her husband at age 15. And uh, a few years later, she was able to attend a literacy class she had never learned to read. And she was mesmerized by the alphabet, you know, the ABCs of letters. And she was completely mesmerized by it. And when she learned to read the letters in her name, she had this amazing discovery. She found out that her name had been mispronounced her whole life by her parents. Mispronounced just because of, you know, they didn't know. They didn't know the words. And this, this discovery that the alphabet had the power to change her name and even more so her identity captivated her. And she couldn't stop saying it. She couldn't stop reading. She couldn't stop learning about it. She couldn't stop saying it. When this Indian woman's mind became alive to the alphabet, to the written words, she became a different person. She received dignity. She was able to to work. She could raise her own children in a better direction, better future than she had. She had been dead to the ABCs, quite frankly, And now she was alive to them. See, when you and I encounter words, not, no, not words, the word. And not just the Bible word, but the word become flesh. When we encounter the word through practical teaching of scripture, we ask God to put into the deepest parts of our being so that I'm able to now read the world differently. And I I look through scripture Not just at it, but I look through it like a lens to my world, to my relationships, to my responsibilities, even to myself. I'm able to read the world so that I can learn what is the greatest thing that I could ever learn. That in Christ, I have a new name. Christian. That's what that means. Christian means little Christ's. And as, as I follow Christ, I discover that I have a new name, a new identity. 
because of this word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that that you have not left us in a silent universe, but you've spoken. God, if it were not for your self-revelation, we wouldn't know anything about the author of our world and of our lives of us. But you've acted in time and space and history. Thank you for scripture, God, that it is living and active. It has effectiveness. And your spirit works through that impacts our lives. And we come alive, God. Because it lets us know how we are hardwired. And we commune, we connect with you through it. And we're so grateful for that, Lord. God, I pray that we would, each one of us, God, as we're on this moving sidewalk, maybe, maybe it feels like going in the wrong direction. God, that we would be really intentional about putting ourselves in environments where we hear practical Bible teaching that moves us more toward the best version of us, our flourishing selves. That's our prayer. God, thank you that you want that for us more than we do. So we know that's, that's a prayer you say yes to 100% of the time. And we're grateful. God, thank you that I have people in this room who encourage me and support me to become the best version of myself, the version that you have in mind. Thank you that I'm not on this journey alone. God, would you keep us from being too self-introspective and self-focused, but to turn our attention to those around us to be present. And God, thank you for this series. I pray that you would really give us new eyes to see what it is that you're doing in our life. God, that we would experience maybe growth in ways we never have before simply because we're being intentional about it. And we're grateful for that. Thanks that your spirit has been active long before we ever came to this in calling us and transforming us. And it's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, if, uh, if you're a part of Timberline Community and you give regularly, thank you for doing that. Um, our, we have an offering plate at the back. We don't, we don't pass it like we normally do on weekends just because of our uh, kind of table set up here. If you've come prepared for that, please uh, put that in the back there. Our prayer team is going to be up front. We'd love to pray with you. Um, oh, my goodness. I finished nine minutes early. I don't think I've ever done that before. This is practical teaching has convicted me about going late, I guess. Uh, so grab, grab some coffee, juice. If you've got kids in um, one of the programs, please wait till 8 o'clock and then go grab them. You can bring them back and uh, let them finish up the food too, okay? Hey, love you guys so much. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being a community that, that cares and um, cares for each other. We'll see you guys next week.